Hello and welcome to the Cynical Podcast, where we take deep dives into the shallow waters of today's blockbuster movies, star-studded films, and most hyped popcorn flicks. We're your hosts, Will, Malika, and Klesia, and today we will be reviewing the HBO Max new release starring Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield, Judas and the Black Messiah. This is your spoiler warning. As usual, we will discuss all of the movie and it will contain spoilers. So if you haven't seen the movie and you don't want it spoiled for you, turn back now. So this is a summary provided by Letterboxd.com. Judas and the Black Messiah is the story of Fred Hampton, deputy chairman of the National Black Panther Party, who was assassinated in 1969 by a Cook County tactical unit on the orders of the FBI and the Chicago Police Department. So, guys, what was your impression of Judas and the Black Messiah? I really, really enjoyed this movie. I went in specifically not looking up any information on the true events that it's based on because I wanted to just go in and have the story kind of wash over me. And obviously, I know about the Black Panther Party or know kind of at a high level what they're about, but didn't know the specifics about Fred Hampton and the circumstances surrounding his murder. So um, it was all really fresh to me. And I found that I liked the performances a lot. I liked the way the story kind of unfolded. There definitely were some things that could have been improved, but I think ultimately something that I found very powerful and I would, I would recommend to other people. Malika. Yeah, I agree. I really enjoyed watching this movie and like clay, I went into the movie pretty blind. Like I hadn't looked up any of the history And, you know, I realized while watching this how little I actually do know about so much of our country's bloody past. But for the most part, I really enjoyed this movie. I thought the acting was solid. I felt like the direction had a point of view. There was a lot of stylistic choices that I appreciated. You know, sometimes we talk about directors and we're like, this could have been anybody. But I felt like there was a personality to the direction, which I appreciated. Yeah, and overall, I, I really did enjoy the movie. Afterwards, I like looked up a little bit of the history, some of the story behind how the script was written and all that. And as it started to percolate, I feel like there were some places that the movie could have improved and which has been a much tighter, much more powerful film. What about you, Will? Personally, I didn't really like the movie that much. I also went into it with a blank slate. I didn't know anything about the story about Fred Hampton or the Black Panther Party in Chicago. And I felt leaving it that it kind of only scratched the surface. And that's coming from someone who knew next to nothing about the story going into it. I felt like we didn't get enough of a view into either the life of Fred Hampton or kind of the internal struggles, trials, and tribulations of Bill O'Neill. This movie, I was really excited for it, mainly because of Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield, two of, honestly, the most talented young actors in Hollywood right now. So I was really excited to see their performance. And they both put on great performances. But to me, this movie, that final product, I guess, felt like it was less than the sum of its parts. Great performances, great actors, incredibly powerful story. But for me, like the movie didn't all put it together in a way that really stood out as like a really great film to me. Hmm. Speaking of the sum of its parts, let's talk a little bit about the cast and crew who made this movie. So the director and also the writer of the movie was Shaka King. This is only his second feature film that he has directed. So bit of a newcomer onto the scene 
And so the cast included Daniel Kaluuya, who is most known for his roles in Sicario, Get Out, and most recently Queen and Slim. Lakeith Stanfield, who was in Sorry to Bother You, Knives Out, Short Term 12. More recently, he was in Uncut Gems. The cast also includes Jesse Plemons, also known affectionately by the nickname Fat Damon. Meth Damon. Meth Damon, <laughs> Fat Damon. Uh, Wait, really? You've never, never heard, heard this? I see it. I see it and I appreciate it, but I did not know it. No. Well, the Meth Damon is from Breaking Bad because he was on Breaking Bad. Everyone's like, he looks like Matt Damon and this is a show about meth. Got it. Got it. That's <laughs> Man, the internet's clever. That's great. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. movie was also starring Dominique Fishback. Lil Rel Howery, Martin Sheen, pretty star-studded cast across the board. So guys, what did you think about the cast, the direction, how it all kind of came to fruition here for Judas and the Black Messiah? Yeah, I remember hearing about Chaka King and I looked up his filmography because I'd just never heard of him before. So it was interesting that this is his only his second feature film. And I thought that he showed a proficiency behind the camera that I don't know, maybe it's my own poor assumptions, but I wouldn't expect necessarily from someone who hasn't directed that many films. I thought, to Malika's point, the direction had a real personality. So I thought he did a really, really good job there. The writing, I think, is probably one of the areas that could have been improved. And I know that this was a story that had been in development for quite some time. And I believe it was um, since like 2013 or 2014, and it had different people were involved in the creative process around getting it created. So I wonder if there is some opportunity there for maybe a tighter story and a tighter script. But I think overall, like obviously nothing much needs to be said about Tanya Kalia and Lakeith Sandville. I think their work speaks for itself. They're both really strong actors, like you said, up and coming actors that are getting a lot of roles and being able to show off a, a huge range. But I personally found myself really impressed with Dominique Fishback playing Deborah. Um, I hadn't seen her in anything. I know she was in... That Netflix movie with uh, Jamie Foxx, Project Power, it didn't look very good to me, to be honest, but I did find myself very impressed with her because I thought that her role was a little bit understated and we didn't get a ton about Deborah as a character, but I found myself really impressed with her performance every time she was on the screen. So, yeah, I mean, I can definitely see your point, though, Will, about the movie could have potentially lived up to a higher potential given all the ingredients it had to work with. But um, I think ultimately I'm still really, really happy with the end product because I think there was at least a vision, whether or not the specific execution of it was that great. I still appreciate a movie that like has a vision and maybe it kind of misses the mark than a movie that doesn't really seem to have a point to it at all. So, yeah. For sure. And for me, the script was probably what held back the movie the most, in my opinion. It felt like it was trying to tell two different stories at the same time and didn't really succeed at telling either story really well. I think this could have worked better as either a biopic more focused on Fred Hampton and his life and how he rose to power amongst the Black Panther Party at such a young age. Fred Hampton was only 21 years old at the time of his death. And that's a really interesting story to me about how someone so young, so charismatic can gather such a huge following around him. And Daniel Kaluuya, despite the age difference, was a great choice for that role. I think he was very impressive in especially the scene when he was released from prison and they held a rally and he was giving his speech. He was just a great choice for the role. And I think a film entirely dedicated to just following Fred Hampton and his story maybe would have done 
Fred Hampton's story a little bit more justice. And then on the other hand, you have the story of Bill O'Neill played by Lakeith Stanfield. And his story really reminded me a lot of The Departed, a informant who's getting in too deep with the people or group that he is informing on and caught between two worlds a little bit. That's something that I think really also could have been a separate story told from a different angle of just showing his internal struggle of informing on these people who he's really grown to respect and admire and become really close to, but he's trapped in this situation where he has to eventually lead to their demise. So to me, those were kind of the two main story threads, but neither of them were that strong in the final outcome. Yeah, I hear you, Will. I mean, I think this could have easily been a miniseries. There was so much here that they could have dove into here, really picked apart each of these different characters and given them a full story. And I would have been there for it. I was totally immersed. I wanted more. I mean, that's the good news of the movie. While it did fall flat in some areas, you were wanting more, not less. That says something. Also, I think at the end of the day, the movie was really about the death of Fred Hampton and not necessarily his life or his legacy or not necessarily about Bill O'Neill and his motivations is really like what led us to this moment where Fred Hampton was murdered. And again, that left me wanting more. I wanted, maybe the movie could have started earlier or maybe started later. Um, And then we kind of see how his death impacts the people that he was leading. I think there was a lot more that they could have fleshed out and given us to hold on to. Yeah, that's a really great point, though, Malika, about this could have easily been made into a miniseries, I think, especially since it's been distributed by Warner Brothers through HBO Max. And we all know HBO Max loves a great miniseries. So, yeah, I do wonder if there is a alternate reality where this somewhere in the production cycle, someone said, hey, like we have enough material here to really make this like a six part one hour episode each miniseries. And we could have gotten a lot more uh, depth to all the different characters that we get to see on screen. And then one thing, too, that I wanted to ask you all about is that, I mean, I grew up Christian. I'm not. I really barely remember most of the stories. But, like, obviously, the movie is titled Judas and the Black Messiah, and it's an analogy to the betrayal of Jesus Christ by Judas. So I thought that was an interesting choice for the title. And I I don't know if uh, either of you know any more of the backstory around why they went with that specific title, because... I don't know. I guess like in my mind, I don't think the analogy really fits because while we see Bill O'Neill get close to Fred Hampton after he joins the party, it doesn't really seem like he's like a close confidant necessarily. And like really the whole thing with Judas and Jesus was that like Judas was one of the disciples. Like he was one of the closest people to this Christ figure, literally, and he betrayed him. So it didn't feel like it meshed that well. It it would have been more fitting if it had been someone like Deborah or even Judy or I don't know if there's more to it that I'm just not picking up on. I actually really liked the title and I was reading that some of the working titles they had for this movie was The Rise of the Black Messiah and they really wanted to keep the Black Messiah piece of it in there. Another title they had was Jesus is My Homeboy, which is an interesting (laughs) choice. But I think from the get-go having this analogy was super important to 
the Lucas brothers who had been pitching the movie, like you said, Clay. So that was definitely like something they wanted to keep no matter what the title ended up being. And I think Hmm. the idea was that Bill O'Neill was a security officer. He actually was pretty close and maybe he wasn't second in command, but he was in the inner circle. He was the one who helped rebuild the offices when they got blown up, the headquarters. And so I think that he was an important part of the story. He was important enough that he could hand you know, Hampton, a glass of whatever, and he would drink it freely and trust him. So, you know, I get your point that he wasn't like super, super, super in the inner circle, but he was close enough that I believe that the analogy works. And I really liked how the title was there, but they didn't sort of shove it down your throat. You kind of had it in your head when you were watching it, but it, no one ever said that. I think if, if someone actually said those words, it would have diminished the power of the title. Yeah, that's a great yeah, point. I agree, Clacia, like the pretense is a little different because... Bill O'Neill did kind of infiltrate the party with the goal, I guess, of eventually helping with the demise of the Black Panther Party in Chicago. But I agree, Malika, he did get pretty close. I mean, I don't know if this is how it actually happened, but in the movie, Bill O'Neill was one of the three people that went to pick up Fred Hampton upon his release from jail. And he was there the last night with just his closest confidants when they were potentially thinking of ways that he could escape or flee to another country or what he would do, whether he would surrender and go to jail. He was there as one of the confidants. And yeah, I think there's a lot of parallels between the story of Judas um, with Jesus. So I like the title. Oh, and one thing I just realized, and I'd want to go back and double check this, but if you think about it, that scene where Bill is going to hand Frank the drink, it's basically his final supper. Exactly. It's his last supper. And there might yeah. have actually been 12 other people there at one point because a couple people leave. Mm-hmm. So that's a really interesting oh, analogy. I'd, wow. I'd really like to go I back. I didn't and, think about that until you said it. But yeah, I'm, I bet that was part of it. Interesting. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, so, I mean, let's just talk about how the movie starts, right? So we're introduced to Bill O'Neill um, and he's he's depicted as if he's some sort of authority figure. He enters a bar, flashes an FBI badge. And he's basically using it as a con to steal a car. And that's our first introduction to what's kind of de facto the main character of this movie. And I think something that we'd all felt was that we didn't get enough of who Bill O'Neill was outside of him having gotten caught and being forced into this situation with the FBI and having to infiltrate the Black Panther Party and outside of him actually interacting with the people who he's deceiving. And it would have been really cool to really flesh out what motivated him and how he got to that point in his life where he was forced into this situation. And I know one thing that we discovered after having watched the movie, all of us, was that he was actually younger, right, than Lakeith Sanfield is. I think Lakeith Sanfield's in his maybe late 20s. 29. And Bill, yeah, and Bill is supposed to be only 17. So I think there's a lot that we just don't understand about the context of his life and his situation that maybe it's supposed to kind of drop us in and we're just supposed to be like, great, here's the guy we're following. But I definitely think we all agree that there could have been a lot more to grip us and to really just get an understanding of who he is and why he's making the choices that he's making. Yeah, I I definitely agree there. And that's part of what I think put me off a little bit about this movie is going in and at least the first, you know, 20, 30 minutes of the movie, the pretense is that, Uh, Bill O'Neill is our protagonist, our main character. And I feel like we didn't get a lot of insight into his life 
outside of the Black Panther Party and going back to Jesse Plemons, his liaison with the FBI. Um, and that could have been an intentional choice. And in some ways it worked because no matter what situation he was in, he had to sacrifice something. Whenever he was helping the Black Panther Party, he was sacrificing his safety with the FBI and his freedom as a human outside of prison. Because as Jesse Plemons said, they were going to put him away for five plus years for attempting to steal a car. But then whenever he tried to advocate, I guess, for his own freedom from prison or jail time, he was sacrificing everything he had done and the relationships he had built with the Black Panther Party. So I think that the pretense is there for a really powerful, intriguing struggle of Bill O'Neill and his inner conflict of who he was and what he was really fighting for and what he was really believed in and who he was trying to be as a person. Unfortunately, I feel like we didn't get enough of Bill O'Neill away from those two sides to really understand as an audience like where he was, just his psyche and what he was feeling. I totally agree that the character could have definitely used more outside of his role as an informant. But one thing that was really interesting to me is they sandwiched the movie with clips. You know, first it's Lakeith playing it, and then they have the actual clip of Bill O'Neill from this documentary of him explaining, like, what happened and, like, why he was in this situation. But in the middle, I believe, they cut to it, and they say, you know, some people have role models that are Martin Luther King, and some people have role models that are Malcolm X, but mine was an FBI agent. And I thought that was super interesting. And I wish we got more of it because it almost feels like Jesse Clemens is trapping him. And you have these moments where Bill O'Neill is pushing back. He's like, no, I don't want to do this anymore. I did what I have to do. He's trying to get out of the situation. So there was this weird dichotomy here of like, oh, you look up to this guy, but he's also putting you in this situation where you have your back against the wall. So isn't that like so interesting? Wouldn't you love to like dive into that more, peel that onion and see what was going on in Bill's head? I think there, there's so much there that we could have unpacked. That's exactly what I mean when I said earlier that I felt like there were two movies here that both could have been really, really good. But unfortunately, we got neither of them. Of, of that story of really diving into who Bill O'Neill was, what he was struggling with, the choices he had to make, the trade-offs he had to make, the sacrifices he had to make with any decision he made one way or the other. But we didn't really get to see his struggle that often. And then obviously the other movie of a biopic, just really diving deep into what made Fred Hampton who he was. I wonder if part of the reason we don't fully get a sympathetic Bill O'Neill is who was telling the story. I don't know if they set out to be like, hey, we want to make you feel bad for Bill O'Neill. I know that Fred Hampton's family was involved advising on the film. So there could be some color there that we're getting. And those were choices that they made on purpose. And that final like end credits explaining where we were years later, it really increased my confusion because I agree. At the end, they definitely kind of painted Bill O'Neill as the villain, I guess you could say, the antagonist. And it didn't feel like the film portrayed him as that 
up until that point, it was kind of going in the direction of like a tragic, sympathetic type character. His back was against the wall. He only had difficult choices to make that none of the choices he made would be the right one. And so that was where my impression of him as a character was at the end of the movie, kind of a tragic figure. But the post credit scene and the clip of his interview and what they said about how he killed himself the night of the release of his interview kind of painted him as the villain, if you will. But that's not what my impression of him was up until that point. Yeah, it's a weird position, right? Because simultaneously, he is the driving force of this film and the events that actually unfolded. Had it not been for his actions, Fred Hampton wouldn't have died in the way that he did. There's no way to know that he wouldn't have died and been murdered some other way, but we know for a fact that his actions had a complete and direct impact on what happened. But it's interesting that, you know, Deborah Johnson and her son advised on the film because of anybody, she has the least motivation to give this person any sort of nuance. But yet I feel like that's exactly what he had in the film leading up until the end credits. So I don't know, maybe it's just one of those studio note things that just doesn't jive. So I mean, I don't want to take too much away from the movie because of something that popped up in the end credits. But it is interesting because I did feel the entire time that we're supposed to not necessarily be empathetic to what Bill is going through, but we're not meant to look at him as a complete monster. And But definitely by the end, he had made that turn of kind of fully buying into the Red Scare and J. Edgar Hoover's rhetoric. So like Jager Hoover was like the mustache twirling villain of the scene. Oh, but yeah. but Roy's decision to take that interaction and to change his demeanor towards Bill after that is to me the really big villainous turn of the film. Because leading up until that point, Roy was letting Bill come into his home, smoke cigars, help yourself, do whatever you want. No big deal. And then all of a sudden they're only meeting at restaurants. And he's being very cagey and very cold. And it leads up to the point where Bill is like, I don't want to do this anymore. And Roy does not give him a choice. And in the end, going off of what you were saying, when he was at Jesse Plemons' house, he definitely led Bill O'Neill to believe that there would be something in it for him, some monetary value, make some good money. And in the end, what he got from the FBI was $200 and a gas station. I agree that that is the biggest villainous turn of the movie. And I don't think Jesse Plemons' character necessarily started out the movie as kind of a villainous figure. Yeah, because I feel like the individuals as the villain and the hero is not what the story is. Because it's systems that are the actual villains and heroes of this story and is actually happening in life. Whereas, like, Bill is the puppet of this evil entity that is manipulating him because he is manipulatable. Completely agree. And that's where I think Bill O'Neill could have really been a character to highlight that system that trapped him in the situation he was in and shown that he had an impossible position to try and navigate. He couldn't have made any right decisions. And... That's something that I feel like could have been one of the main takeaways is how the system is set up for someone like Bill O'Neill to fail. It's set up for someone like Bill O'Neill to be put in 
this position that makes him a victim no matter which direction he goes. Exactly. And it felt like a missed opportunity. I thought they did illustrate that. And I feel like with Roy Mitchell, at least what I got from it is like he also had his back against the wall with Hoover and his crazy agenda. Yep. And so to your point, Clay, like he was the mustache twirling villain and, you know, Martin Sheen was <laughs> chewing up scenery, like almost unrecognizable as Hoover. <laughs> but like he was like the ultimate baddie. Right. And we don't get more than that one scene where he's asking about his like infant daughter. But like, you know, there there's could have been more there to flesh out Roy Mitchell's character, like to give him motivation for why he's all of a sudden he's changing from from a warmer personality to something a little bit colder. And I think that Hoover's pressure is the catalyst there, but we need more because right now we're just guessing. Yeah. More than I think about it, having these like good and evil entities and the individual people are the puppets. So Mm -hmm. Hoover is a puppet of this broader evil that's over all of them. Roy is like seen as the evil entity of the film. He is still just another puppet. And just like Mm -hmm. there's another puppet ahead of him. And then it just keeps on going until you get the real heart of it. As the, the movie plays out, the strings are getting pulled tighter depending on what side is going through. So when Roy gets his strings pulled harder, he's like, okay, now I'm getting pulled more towards the evil side, and now I have to manipulate Bill even more. Yeah, and I think the scenes that stood out to me were we really got some of that insight a little bit into maybe how Bill was trapped in that situation. The scenes that stood out to me were when George Sams, who was... Also an FBI informant under the guise of being a Black Panther Party member came and told them about how he murdered and tortured an FBI informant. And we saw Bill O'Neill's reaction to trying to put on this facade of a tough guy, part of the Black Panther Party saying, oh, yeah, I would have killed him, too. I would have done the same thing. But we really see through Lakeith Stanfield's performance that he is having an oh shit moment and really struggling with what am I going to do? without even saying anything. And I thought that was a really A-plus scene. And then at the end, where he meets Lil Rel Howery's character at the bar, who gives him the poison to give to Fred Hampton, and he didn't even know he was meeting him there. He was set up and followed and put in this situation where he didn't have a choice. And you see him really struggling there with, I don't want to fucking do this. This isn't what I signed up for basically being forced to do it by showing that like he had his fake FBI badge Mm. and that basically to say, I know who you are. I'm real. This is happening. And once again, Lakeith Stanfield's performance really like drove it home there. I just wanted like more and more of scenes like that, of like really seeing what Bill was going through. Yeah. So before we move on to like our standard categories for each movie review, Like, what are your guys' final thoughts on, like, the themes and overall structure of the movie? One thing that I had heard about but didn't really know too much about that is 
sort of mentioned throughout this film is the Rainbow Coalition, where Fred Hampton is able to appeal to so many different people, so many different groups, and bring them all together. And I just wanted more of that. I feel like that's been my theme for this podcast review, which is like more, more, more. That scene where they're all standing on the stairs and they're speaking to the crowd was so powerful. Like I was almost on the verge of tears, but then it was over. And then there was nothing more. I wanted the story to explain the impact there of bringing all these people together, but also like the story of Chicago that has so many different groups of people, all who felt so disenfranchised, all felt hunted down by the police and by their government. I think there's just so much there that got just skimmed over. Malika, I completely agree with you, especially about the Chicago setting and learning more about the Rainbow Coalition, because it's something we don't really learn in history, right? Like we have a lot of problems in our education system. And I think chief amongst them is not getting a robust enough view of our history, especially our most recent history, right? Like I feel like everybody can recite the generals from the civil war, but I don't know that many people that really have an understanding of the sociopolitical atmosphere of the 1960s in America, which was a lot more recent. So I personally would have loved to have seen more about that particular plotline developed you know we see fred hampton and the black panthers go to the crowns you know a prominent gang of chicago and they go in unarmed specifically to say hey we're all in this together like why would we be fighting one another when we can be so much more powerful together and then you see that same message brought to other groups fred is able to appeal to everyone and that is such an important aspect of his legacy and i definitely agree with you i wish we'd gotten to explore so much more of that and i think it just goes back to your suggestion like hbo let's just make this a mini series there's still time who says we can't do it we can recast if we need to whatever but no, let's, don't let's get recast. more of the story because it's just phenomenal just bring everyone back. Yeah, do you Run really think we're going to get Kaluuya and Stanfield for however long it's going to take to make that? All right. Well, I think it's time we move into our usual categories. Clacia, why don't you start? What was your uh, pitch perfect part of Judas and the Black Messiah? Um, like I said, I really liked a lot about this movie, but to me, I think the casting was probably one of the stronger elements. You know, we talked about the script could have been a lot better. The direction was pretty good, but I really think it was the casting and the performances that really made this whole movie shine. I didn't have a sense before watching this of who Fred Hampton was and who some of the other characters were. And obviously you're never going to completely recreate that same energy and vibe that that person would have brought. But I think given all we know about how committed Daniel Kulia is as a performer. I think he did a phenomenal job, like from the accent to the facial hair to all the little different things that are so critical to making something a whole performance and not like a caricature. I think he did a really great job. Obviously, Lakeith Stanfield is a standout actor, but I was really impressed with Dominique Fishback, considering that she is not in this movie a lot. You know, she plays Deborah, who's involved with Fred ends up having his child. And unfortunately, like Fred gets murdered 25 days before that child is even born. So we don't get to see a lot of her, but she's going through a lot emotionally. And I thought Dominique Fishback did a lot with the little that she had. So all the things that could be changed about this movie, I think the casting to me would be the last thing to change. Completely agree. I think it was an absolute home run all-star cast. Daniel Kaluuya, Get Out and This Performance are two great performances that are going to be remembered for a long time. Um, I'm really excited for his future, Lakeith Stanfield. I keep on waiting for his like big, big breakout. I don't think this is it. I think both of these guys are going to be Hollywood mainstays for a long time. Like, Who would have thought coming away from this movie that Daniel Kaluuya 
was British, born in London. Hard to believe. He's a London bloke. All right, Malika, do you have a fun fact for the movie? Actually, my fun fact is that, you know, he is British and he wanted to make sure that he had the right cadence when he was talking as Fred Hampton, just regularly to people, but also during the speeches. So, of course, he worked with a dialect coach to get that right. But he also worked with an opera coach, which I thought was super interesting, to make sure that when he did have those big speeches, that he could really fill the space. And of course, like opera singers know how to do that. So the other interesting fact is that we talk about Hoover being this cartoonish villain, but he actually was an artistic choice that the Lucas brothers made when they were putting the story together. They didn't know for certain his exact involvement in the murder of Fred Hampton, but then afterwards they found out from this Chicago Sun-Times article that Hoover was actually very much involved in the death of Hampton. So it was a nice guess that they ended up being right on. Always bet the old white dude (laughs) is the bad guy. You'll never fail. Especially when that guy (laughs) is Jadger Hoover. Yeah, fuck Jadger Hoover. That one's a little hard to argue against. So, Will, if you could only make one change, what would you make? So, earlier I made the comparison of Bill O'Neill's character and what he was going through with The Departed and Leo DiCaprio's character, Billy Costigan, being caught between two worlds. And something that I really think made The Departed work really well was Vera Fumiga's character and how she was there as the psychiatrist who he was able to be his like true, honest self to and pour out all of his emotions and his inner thoughts and what he was struggling with every day to this person. And if I were to change one thing, I would give a character like that for Bill O'Neill, like a confidant who he could spill his guts to and really lay bare what he is struggling with, dealing with these two sides stuck between a rock and a hard place, just as a proxy for the audience to like better understand and like mm-hmm. put to words action what he's going through. Because like I mentioned, there were a couple scenes where we picked up on it. We picked up on hints. We saw a little bit of it. But I think that there's so much meat there of that struggle he's going through and like an additional character that he could bounce those ideas use as like a soundboard, I think would have been helpful for us really like empathizing with Bill O'Neill as a character. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think they tried to do that with the snippets of the documentary interviews in the beginning, the middle, and the end, where he's just directly talking to the audience. But the audience can't be that character for him. He, they can't be that sounding board. He can't be so our I own avatar. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I agree with you there that um, having a character, even a made-up character, be that sounding board for him would have cracked his character wide open. And there could have been so much more that we could have learned about not only only Bill, but about the situation and possibly about Fred as well. Exactly. Through some dialogue there, they could really like building out and fleshing out that system that they're trapped in. Right. For right. Sure. So finally, our final segment, the JB Smoove Award is an award we give in each movie to the person, place or thing that just felt like it was part of a different movie or didn't fit into the particular movie we were watching. The inspiration for the J.B. Smoove Award, shout out every time, comes from J.B. Smoove himself in the movie Spider-Man Far From Home, where J.B. Smoove was just doing his own thing and was a part of a completely different movie than Spider-Man Far From Home. So guys, what 
is your J.B. Smoove award winner for Judas and the Black Messiah? I mean, it has to be that scene with Jager Hoover talking to Roy Mitchell and kind of setting up the whole sting to kill Fred Hampton and him, I guess, appealing to his fellow white man of asking him, hey, you have a baby child. What happens when she grows up one day and brings home a black guy? And it's just so uncomfortable. And I think especially given the rest of the movie is incredibly subtle, maybe too subtle, which we've talked about in some of its themes and lessons and, and the things that it's trying to convey. It just seems so ham-fisted. And again, just very mustache twirly villain by Martin Sheen. So not that he was a bad performer, but it just felt like something that kind of brought the movie to a screeching halt for me. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. And honestly, Martin Sheen as J. Edgar Hoover he almost resembled Jabba the Hutt more than like an actual <laughs> human. He's just so like gross and like oozing. He's like and, melty. He looks like he's and melting. that scene, it was obviously supposed to kind of hit you like a brick wall of such overt racism as opposed to more of like the systemic. I mean, it's more than systemic in this movie, but really the like over the top overt racism going on in that scene. But it just still felt kind of out of place and out of nowhere for J. Edgar Hoover to just be sitting down talking to Jesse Plemons like that. It just felt weird and out of place and super gross. And I did not like it. So guys, it's time. We're at the end of the pod. We must give our ratings. So who wants to go first? So I would give this movie a three and a half out of five pool cues. You know, as I said, I thought the acting was solid. I thought the direction was solid. And I, you know, I said this a million times and I'll say it one more time. I just wanted more. I didn't want a longer movie. I think two hours was plenty, but I think that maybe some reorganization or, you know, breaking this down into a miniseries would have been a much more powerful choice. You know, I can even imagine like a three-part series where they go into each of the characters' lives, you know, one about Fred Hampton, one about Deborah, and then one about Bill O'Neill. I think that would have been super cool just to have that, those three glimpses three different perspectives it's a great idea malika yeah malika i'm completely with you i'm gonna give this movie three and a half out of five smoked cigars i think there is more to like about this than to not like i'm happy with what we got but i'd be really excited if we got more of an exploration into not just fred hampton specifically but just people from this era and learning mm -hmm. more about people that are kind of just underserved this is the first major motion picture about the murder of fred hampton which is kind of a shame if you think about it definitely I'm going to give it 2.9 out of 5 fake FBI badges. I think it was a really powerful story, an important story, a story I didn't know before watching the movie. So I'm glad I watched it just from that point of view. But like we said, I agree, Malika. It left me wanting more, which is not really a position I like to be in after watching a movie, unless it's like an Avengers movie and they're trying to get me to watch 18 more. And the TV shows. Uh, but yeah, I just think that with maybe a little bit more focus on one of the perspectives, whether it's Fred Hampton or Bill O'Neill, it could have been a stronger film. But powerful story. And I would recommend people watch it, especially if they don't know the story of Fred Hampton. Mm -hmm. Well, that is going to do it for us at the Cynical Podcast. Make sure you guys check out our Twitter and Instagram at cynical pod and please 
please be sure to give a follow to our wonderful engineer, producer, editor, and most importantly, Clacia's boyfriend, Aaron Kelly, <laughs> and, our, and best our best friend, friend at ak.audio. Talk about ham <laughs> That's literally what we do every episode. <laughs> well, that's it from us on Simple Pod. Thanks for listening. Bye. Later. See ya. Bye. Bye.